Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Sonia, and on this week's episode, we have a very special guest, Grace Chan, who happens to be a dear friend and a food friend of mine. Grace has this amazing garden that she documents on her Instagram, Tiny Food Garden. She started out gardening in a parking spot at her apartment building. So she's talking to us all about how to garden in unusual places, how to start gardening, and what is she doing with the vegetables that she grows. It was really great to hear more about Grace's Korean-American garden how her family influenced the things that she grows. There's so many gardening and cooking tips in this episode. Grace, aside from her garden, is also an internationally acclaimed animal photographer, author, and creative coach. Grace's images of animals have been celebrated all around the world and can be seen in her best-selling books, as well as exhibits and installations. And as a creative coach, Grace empowers creatives to make what matters to them with confidence and heart through brain training, subconscious reprogramming, and energy reading. She shows people how to unblock resistance in the creative process. We're going to link Grace's website in our show notes. You can also follow her on Instagram at the Grace Chan. We're so excited to share this conversation with all of you. And also, I was so happy to be able to finally introduce Grace and Carrie to each other. So stay tuned for more. Hi, Carrie and Grace. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Carrie and Sonia. As you can hear, we have another food friend with us today. Grace, we're so excited to have you. Um, You're an incredible photographer. You're this inspiring creative coach. You're the host of an amazing podcast called Creativity School. And I don't know if everyone knows this about you. You are an amazing home gardener. Yes, I am very multi-passionate. I enjoy doing a lot of things, but gardening probably is one of my most favorite things to do of all time. Not just any sort of gardening, by the way, food gardening. Like I just love growing food and eating it. It's so just so much fun. Yeah. And you can follow Grace's gardening journeys on Tiny Food Garden, her Instagram account. It's so colorful and beautiful. But also, Grace, you and I are real life friends and I'm so excited to introduce you to Carrie. I've told Carrie so much about you and I know you've heard so much about Carrie. So it's always really fun to make these introductions. Carrie, I feel like I know you already, especially just because of this podcast. I I feel like, ooh, I'm joining this fun group with you guys today. It's very exciting. But I've also heard so many wonderful things about you and the chemistry the two of you have and the passion that you have and the stories and the education, all of it. It's so fun as a listener to be a witness to that. And so I'm just so excited to meet you and be on your show today. Well, Grace, thank you for saying all that. I will say it's such a pleasure to meet you. I've heard about you too. And in the last few days, I've been sort of living in Graceland. I've been listening to your podcast kind of nonstop. And it's such a delight. I listened a few months ago to the interview with Sonia, but now I've just been kind of like immersed in your world. I really love how you really talk about creativity and intuition and practicing your creativity. And for someone like me who, you know, cooking is a creative outlet, you're very multi-hyphenate. Sonia is very multi-hyphenate. I think my one creative outlet is food. And so it's really freeing to listen to your conversations, both just when it's you and when you're interviewing other people. I love your podcast so much. So I highly recommend it to anyone. Oh, thank you. I'm blushing. I really appreciate that feedback. And you are 
are so creative. And for both of you, food is a huge way for you to express that creative outlet and your own unique viewpoint of the world and bringing that all together through this beautiful food that you create. So yeah, I'm just really happy to hear that it resonates because I think that journey that we go on internally, it's the same regardless of whatever that creative output is. You know, the other thing that I think is starting to free me from some of my perfectionism is gardening. I feel the same as you. I love to garden, but I think it's just like such a great place to play. And there's so much creativity in that. And there's, you get so much help from mother nature. She gives you all these gifts that you're not even expecting or looking for. So I'm so thrilled to have this conversation with you today. Yes, like it's true. Both Carrie and I have gotten into gardening over the years and it's definitely been freeing. And I'm really curious, Grace, how did you first get into gardening? I think the creative journey and what you experience through gardening is so parallel. And it's no surprise that I started gardening when I started my pet photography. So my creative journey really, it goes back very far, but I think what I'm most known for right now is my photography. And so when I quit my corporate job in advertising to really go all in on my photography, for some reason, which I know it's not some reason, there was very, there was some divine guidance there where I was led to gardening. And that taught me so much about patience and the relationship between um, knowing what I can do and be responsible for and also knowing when to step back and understanding that there are things that are happening with Mother Nature that are so beyond my control. So it really just helped me get into patience, I think, first of all, because I joke and say I came out of the womb an overachieving workaholic. Like it's so easy for me to yeah. just get into like building mode, doing mode, let's achieve and be successful. And with gardening, there really isn't that. Like there is a whole other timeline involved that is beyond your own effort. And so that practice of gardening and planting things and being patient, like you can't make a tomato grow faster than it wants to. That really taught me a lot. And it still continues to inform, you know, the creative journey that I'm on today, just that patience and trust and faith and knowing that I have something that I can do. And then there are parts that I can't and I have to have trust and faith and surrender to that. And even further back, my parents are Korean immigrants. And I think gardening in, in the immigrant community is probably like very, very common because very it's common. free food. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's free food. And not, it's not just free food. You get to grow food that reminds you of the culture you came from and what you grew with your parents and ate as a child. And so I grew up with the most beautiful, fresh Korean produce we could get because my mom and dad grew it in our garden. And so now when I'm starting my own gardening journey, it's also just connecting me to my family. It's helping me remember my father who passed away when I was a child. There's just like so many things that really came to the surface for me when I started gardening. That really um, resonates because my dad also was a big gardener and like and as immigrant communities, like you're right, it's not just it's free food. He was also a big forager. That was the ultimate free food. But like gardening, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. you know, every tree that has mushrooms, you know, every plant in the neighborhood. Yep. I'm curious. I think, Carrie, maybe you are too. Like what were the kinds of things that your parents were growing? You know, typical produce. They, they, we always garden in the summer because I grew up in Philadelphia. So you can't really garden year round there like you can here in Los Angeles where I am now. So all the summer vegetables, you know, uh, the tomatoes and the eggplants, but then they grew Korean peppers. They grew Korean cucumbers. They grew genyip, which that's Korean, but in English it's perilla, but it's different than say Japanese shiso. It's Korean perilla. Garlic chives. I 
Yeah, the list goes on. I can't even think of them all now. But a lot of Korean, Korean ingredients. So when you started your own garden, Grace, I'm curious, was your first garden here in Los Angeles? If that's so, what did you bring forth from your family? And then what were the new things that you put into your first garden here? Because you've been gardening for over 10 years. Did you bring your families, some of your family's crops forward? And then did you grow anything new here? So I started gardening in 2008, which is when I started my photography business. So I've been gardening for a very long time. And in 2008, I was living in an apartment in Los Feliz where there was no gardening space. And for some reason, I was the only one who got a private sort of parking space because imagine the apartment building and then there's just like the row of parking right? There's like five parking spaces. But then my parking space was tucked next to the building. It was by itself. So without even asking for permission, I thought, you know what, I'm going to turn this parking space into my garden. So I called it my parking space garden. And I started gardening in pots, which is why I'm so passionate about teaching people about gardening and telling them like, you can literally grow food anywhere. Don't let not having space stop you. So I started in pots. I have to say it was very, very challenging. It's kind of like learning to drive in Los Angeles. Like, yeah, let's Mm. just get thrown into the most stressful environment possible to learn because the thing with the parking space is there's asphalt. It's black. It's freaking hot. It is really not the most ideal conditions to garden in, but that's how I learned. That's how I got started. And then by the time, you know, as I moved places and got a house and my husband built me a planter box then it's like if I go now drive somewhere in the middle of nowhere easy peasy right and that's kind of like how gardening felt for me because like I I was trained in very stressful environment for my plants Um, and I did not start growing Korean food actually I started growing heirloom tomatoes because at least in 2008 I've, I've watched steadily since 2008 to present day the price of heirloom tomatoes going down. <laughs> but in right. 2008, I mean, they're still expensive now when you go to the farmer's market. But in 2008, they were like sun gold tomatoes at that time were like five ninety nine a pound. And when you wow. go now to the farmer's market, it's like two ninety nine a pound because it's gotten much more common. Everyone knows what a sun gold tomato is at this point. 2008, they didn't. And heirloom tomatoes were way more rare. They were so expensive at the farmer's market. You know, I'm still wearing my immigrant hat and I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to garden and I'm going to grow something that tastes infinitely better because I grew it myself, I'm starting with tomatoes because tomatoes from the grocery store are disgusting. And even <laughs> I think even the ones you get at the farmer's market are not as good as when you pick fresh off the vine. So I totally agree with you. Yes. Totally agree more. Yes. Yes. Right. When you eat something so freshly picked, like when you pick a lemon off a tree, that scent that's there for the first 30 seconds, it's like unreal. You you can only smell it when you first pick it off the tree. And I feel like tomatoes, a lot of produce is like that. And so I started growing heirloom tomatoes. I started with like the most basic ones like brandy wine or um, I can't remember. But then I started getting weirder. Like I wanted the rare one. So then I started going to a, an event here called Tomato Mania, where now I'm like oh purposely seeking out like the crazy rare ones. And over time, it's just that's I've, I like growing rare heirloom tomatoes. It's really fun. So besides heirloom tomatoes, what else do you grow? So now, I mean, I really started there and now it's everything. Uh, I love summer vegetables, peppers, eggplant, squash, zucchini, spring vegetables with the greens. And I love like purple bok choy and growing cabbage. But it wasn't until I moved to my current house now in Eagle Rock a year ago where I had way more space and way more 
more of a playground to garden. And that's when my Korean gardening dreams were finally able to come true because <laughs> I never really had the space to grow all the Korean stuff. I always made room for the perilla, always, because that is just come on, you can't meet a Korean person that doesn't love perilla. It's so fresh and herbaceous, tastes good with everything. There's so many ways to cook it and prepare it. So I always saved room for perilla. But once I got to my place now, I was able to grow, you know, Korean cucumbers, eggplant, different kinds of peppers, garlic chives, lettuce. I can't even remember all of it. Um, Squash. Oh, those little like green zucchini-ish squashes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this year was the first year I grew perilla because I love the flavor so much. I was like, I have to have this in the garden. I think it grows better in California than here, but it did grow. Do you think of your garden as an extension of your kitchen? Like it sounds like it's definitely a place where you're like, okay, I can grow things that are tastier and I can play around with things that are hard to source. But like as you're in your current gardening self, are you thinking about like dishes you're going to make? And I'm curious what you're making from your garden. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what's so fun about growing a garden is like, and I'm sure you ladies feel this when you go to the farmer's market and you just see the cornucopia of ingredients in front of you and the creativity of figuring out like, how are they going to come together? What's seasonal right now? What's fresh? How can I combine this to make something? And it's literally that experience for me, but in my backyard. And like just trying to come up with something using those ingredients. I try to do different things. I try to do things that remind me of my childhood. I try to just make things I've never done before. The creativity of figuring out like, okay, I literally have like 50 pounds of tomatoes right now. What the heck can I do with this? That's not just tomato sauce. I think it's really fun to look at all the ingredients and just figure out what do I feel like eating? What do I want to make? What's the best way to present these ingredients because they're at their freshest and at their prime. Can we back up just like slightly? Because I think, I don't think I've ever had perilla and I certainly don't grow it. And it sounds like it's really like if you could grow one thing in your garden, that might be it. And so I'm just curious if you could educate me and our listeners about like, what is perilla? What does it taste like? And then maybe explain a couple of things that you do with it. Is it, do you just eat it raw or do you cook it or what do you do? I love this question, Carrie. Okay. So I don't know, Sonia, I have a hard time describing the taste because it's like, I always, when I post Perilla on on Tiny Food Garden Instagram, I always hashtag it, not Shiso, because everybody just associates Korean Perilla with Japanese Perilla. And they have very distinctly different flavors. For me, maybe it's just because I'm not used to that flavor. It's not my preferred flavor profile. Like, I think from a taste perspective, I prefer it, but I also then think you have all the taste memories that go along with it. So it's a flavor I really like, but I couldn't explain to you in words how it tastes different than Japanese shiso. Could you? I feel like shiso is ever slightly more citrusy. And I think perilla is ever slightly anisey or licorice-y. But in the subtlest, like it does not taste like licorice. Do not get me wrong. But those notes that are like, it's the very subtlest florally pepperiness. It's not bitter like an arugula or chicory. And it's not like a lettuce. (laughs) And it's not like a spinach, but it is like an earthy, flowery nutty it almost and nutty it almost has like a mint 
fruitiness to it. Yeah. A little tiny, tiny bit. I mean, it's very herbaceous. Floral, I think, is a really good word for it. And nutty, I think, is a good good word for it because actually perilla seeds are a very big part of Korean culture cooking as well, where we'll take the seeds or you'll crush the seeds up and use the powder and ingredients and it adds a very herbaceous, nutty taste. So perilla leaves are just the green version of that. So you're getting, I think, some of the notes from the seeds that you would get. And um, it grows like a weed. So if you plant perilla and you let it go to seed, you'll have perilla forever. I mean, even on the East Coast, I can only talk about Philadelphia and here as far as gardening goes. But even on the East Coast, my mom always tells me plant perilla in a pot because if you plant it in the ground, it's going to go crazy like mint does. It's very invasive. So um, I've always grown it in a pot just to keep it a little bit more controlled. And I love growing a ton of it because there are so many different things you can do with it. And so first thing that comes to mind that I love eating perilla with is with Korean. And barbecue. So you take the leaf, take a little bit of meat, you add a little bit of the samjang, which is like a fermented bean paste. You can add the little like spicy things. And I love adding fresh garlic. I love adding a slice of jalapeno. And then you can add little like, you know, little panchan. Like sometimes people have like salted shrimp you could add. You could add a little bit of oyster, but whatever. It's fun. It's kind of like a taco in, in the sense that like you can add whatever toppings you want to eat with it, but you use the perla as the wrap. So then you have it delicious green component that's a little peppery, a little minty, a little flory that goes so well with the meat. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. It sounds like it has a real texture to it, which I have a, a little bit of experience with a Japanese shiso, which is not, it's not like a delicate lettuce. It's more kind of in the, it has a little heft to it, right? It's not like a, yes. a delicate, like even arugula, right? You nailed it. So it's not like a butter lettuce, not quite as hefty as kale. It's somewhere in the middle Somewhere there. in between. Somewhere in between there. It's not like as soft and watery tasting as say like a, a piece of lettuce would taste if you would use it in a wrap. It is a little bit thicker. It is a little bit rougher. It goes really well. Like if, you know, when you eat Korean barbecue, they have the lovely Korean salad that you can eat it with. So yes. I'll shred it up and I'll put it into Korean salad. Tastes really good. What's it, will if you tell us what's in Korean salad just so everyone... Knows. Yeah, the dressing. Yeah. yeah, the dressing is really simple. It's like soy sauce, a little bit of kind of a vinegar, some sugar. You can have kochukaru, which is the the Korean red pepper, ground up pepper. You can add a little sesame seed. Did I ever say garlic? I can't remember. But yeah, it's just a really light vinaigrette um, that you toss the greens in. So it's a little bit tangy. It's a little bit sweet. You have the sesame oil in there, and then I like to shred the perilla leaf sometimes in there. If you're making, say, like a Korean cold noodle, like a um, not a noodle where um, there's a broth. We call it like a bibimguksu, which means like a mixed noodle dish. So a really popular one is like a, a kimchi mixed noodle dish. And if you just slice in a little bit of the perilla leaves and put it in there, it adds that herbaceous green quality to it. You made me so happy when you said that because Carrie and I, I took Carrie to eat cold Korean noodles. It was like one of, in Koreatown in LA, it was one of our most memorable meals together. So I'm so oh. happy you brought that up. What kind of uh, cold noodle was it? Was you it said- like with a broth or was it mixed? No, no. It was, okay, so it was a pibimguksu. Yeah. The mixed, like, was it with the kimchi? Was it spicy? A little sweet? Yes. Yeah. And like hard-boiled egg on top and yeah. like... It was such a mem- memorable meal. And I think, you know, for someone like me who grew up in the Midwest, like, and I think I talked about this on one of our episodes, kimchi has become one of my favorite things to eat. Like, I just love the crunchiness and the spiciness and the funkiness. But it's, you know, it's definitely not something I grew up with. And I live... You know, I live in mid-city of Los Angeles, so I live just like a mile or two from Koreatown. And that's just what's fascinating to me 
about being from a small town is that like I can drive a mile or two miles and have this like incredible food that I didn't even know existed when I was growing up. And so even just to talk to you and think about, you know, growing this really easy to grow herb that I can add into salads and it adds this beautiful flavor. Like I'm just so interested to know more. I think what you just said about living in Los Angeles is truly one of the best things about living here. We watch a lot of food TV and even if it's not what they're talking about is not in LA. I know that if I go on Yelp and look for it, I'll be able to find a version of it here. Yes. So it is such a food adventure living here. And yeah, I mean, if I if we want to keep going with, uh, down the rabbit hole of Perilla. Tell us, you were going to say one more Perilla dish and I'd love to yeah. hear. Yeah, well, I think the, the it's so versatile because you can eat it completely raw, as I just said, but you can also turn it into a panchan, which is a side dish. And there's so many different ways of doing that because you can make Perilla kimchi and it lasts, by the way, forever in the fridge. My mom will make it and she's like, oh yeah, just take all your Perilla at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the summer and just make kimchi and it'll last for the rest of the year because it's soy sauce based. What? So. So it's salty and then you'll add you know the sesame seeds the hot peppers the kuchukaru the red pepper flakes and so now you're getting this like briny salty genyip flavored kimchi that's so delicious but then uh, uh, really quickly you can also cook it so you can stuff it you can fry it you can make pancakes with it when you say stuff it are you talking about like the way you stuff like a cabbage like people make stuffed cabbage leaves that kind of stuffing yeah so you'll take a really big leaf because they will grow quite large if you let it they will get more rough is that the best word to use rough like it gets a little bit more more uh, textured I guess more texture right? yeah. yeah a little more rougher and more texture as the larger you let it go but they can grow quite large and then you make like a ground meat mixture and stuff it you fold it in half so now you got a little pocket wow. you bread it in egg and then you pan fry it so it's like a little oh stuffed- it's not wow. steamed Mm-mm. You yeah. pan fry it and pan it holds it. its texture. Mm-hmm. Sounds so good. I'm so interested. <laughs> Leave it open, so not stuff it at all, but then batter it and then fry it. So then you're making little pancakes with it. So there, there's just so many things you can do with it. Oh my gosh, when can I come to your house for dinner? <laughs> that sounds so amazing. This is the sad thing is that my garden is on a pause right now, but it will make a comeback because we're building an ADU in the backyard. So I was very heartbroken because I had this beautiful experience of having the Korean garden of my dreams and it's on pause now, but it'll come back. When it comes well, back, I have you space. Both come Do you want to grow your perilla in my yard and then I can bring it to you and you can <laughs> Sure. I'm down. Let's do it. Grace, I think one thing Carrie may not know about you is you actually had uh, – you dipped your toes into the food world for a while. Didn't you have a stand at the farmer's market? Weren't you I selling did. homemade oh my gosh, kimchi? Tell me more. <laughs> I was selling kimchi. I think it was 2016. I had a company called Kimchi Party where a girlfriend of mine, her name is also Grace. It was very confusing for people to Grace is (laughs) selling kimchi at the farmer's market. But it's so interesting, by the way, Carrie, because you're saying like you just didn't grow up with this and now you love it. When I was growing up, kimchi was super weird. Nobody wanted to touch it. It smelled weird. Like it was just the weird food that we'd get made fun of for eating. But then I'm selling it now at the farmer's market and I have like seven year old kids coming up to me being like, I love kimchi. And they're just like eating it. And my mind is blown. Like my inner child is weeping a little bit, like feeling so validated. Like this thing that I thought was so gross and embarrassing. Now this like child is coming up to me telling me how good it is. I had like 80 year old grandmas come up and tell me how much they love kimchi and they're going to eat it with some rice and some meat. So it was like a very much full circle moment for me. But we started a kimchi company. We wanted to make kimchi without sugar. 
which is very common in Korean households. Rather than adding sugar to feed the bacteria that's growing in there, you can use fruit. And so we really reverse engineered this kimchi. I mean, I want to tell you, it is it was the best kimchi ever because we taste tested which sweetener is going to be the best. We tried pineapple. We tried apple. We tried kiwi. Landed on apple, by the way. Apple was delicious. It didn't add, you know, some of these other things we tried were too floral and added a weird flavor that we didn't like in it. But apple was crisp. Apple was sweet. So that was really good. And then we tried all kinds of different gochukaru, the red pepper flake at the, at the Korean market. We test. We even taste tested going to a spot in K-Town where a guy is freshly grinding red pepper we tried that and we didn't like it yeah so we went down the rabbit hole we developed an amazing vegan version because kimchi traditionally has um, shrimp brine in it which adds some of the funky fermentedness to it Um, so we made a beautiful clean version of the kimchi where we created an umami broth based with daikon radish and mushrooms to add some of the funk back in there and then we came up with we had four flavors we had the daikon radish which rather than using the napa cabbage to make the kimchi you have the the daikon radish version which is called kaktugi and then we also developed an extra spicy version using habanero peppers which was delicious and i wish that still existed oh my goodness by the way that all sounds amazing were you using produce out of your garden then for your kimchi party no because we were making kimchi with a hundred pounds of cabbage at a time so we would go buy a box of cabbage and then it would literally take 12 hours we found a commercial kitchen in k-town and it would take 12 hours to make it so just the sheer volume there's no way i mean if i had used my produce that kimchi would have cost a dollar a hundred dollars a jar so (laughs) yeah no we did it so i mean gosh you have so much experience so much knowledge i could talk just about kimchi with you for definitely an hour and that was illuminating because i always thought (laughs) i always thought asian pear was the thing you add and i just love this discovery of apple because when i've made kimchi before i've used asian pear so now i'm going to try it again with apple but i want to just ask another question about gardening it's sort of like going back a bit But I'm curious because I thought it was so great how you mentioned like you started out in a parking spot on asphalt in pots. What were the most helpful resources to you getting started? Was it just self-teaching, like just trial and error? Or were there like, is there anything out there for someone who wants to get started? Did you take a class or something? Mm -hmm. Like did did you have a guide? I didn't. I was purely just learning from experience. You know, the internet now in 2023 is not what it was in 2008. We didn't have Instagram pages. We didn't have influencers and gurus teaching us how to do everything. I think YouTube was probably very much in its early stages at the time. So we just didn't have the kind of resources then that we do now. And so I was buying a lot of books. Um, I was looking into like square foot gardening. I was looking into gardening in pots, all very similar information. I mean, it's whether you're growing in a pot or growing in the ground, it's very, very similar. It's just, you know, difference in how much you're watering, difference in how much you're feeding, because all the stuff is coming out the bottom of the pot. But yeah, a lot of educating myself just through books, a lot of trial and error, a lot of asking my mom questions. And I really think the best way to learn is just do it. Mm-hmm. Did you have any like epic fails? Because I, I will share that I also lived in an apartment 2008, 2009, and I was trying to garden and I had a couple of super epic fails. That, what were they? What happened? Well, I was kind of trying to compost in one of my pots, but like it rained and then like the water was coming out and then it smelled really bad. And I think it's some, <laughs> I don't, I think I maybe put like a parmesan, it smart, smelled like 
bad Parmesan. <laughs> and then I and then it had all that like it was gooey. And so then I poured it out. And then everyone in the building was like, oh my God, what is that smell? And I was like, I should not do this anymore. I'm not good at this. So, so- I stopped. <laughs> but I wish we had been friends then because maybe you would have helped me troubleshoot what, what I was doing wrong. Oh, I don't even think that's like a gardening fail though. I think that's like a composting fail. Yeah. Your, your composting right, trial enough. and error fail. Yeah. I don't know if you would call it a fail, but just not growing very much. Like I started in like 2009 and in a season, you know, I was lucky if I got a few tomatoes and then I just kept going at it, trying different things. And then by 2011, when I got married, I was able to harvest enough tomatoes to use for my wedding. I gave them to my caterer and she made like a tomato salad with it. Yeah. So That's two years, though. That's two. Every time you garden, you learn more. You really also learn growth mindset with gardening because you're probably going to suck when you start, just like you suck at most things when you first learn how to do it. Like me gardening back then versus now, it's totally different. I just... I just didn't grow very much of it. It was like one tomato that cost $100 because of all my time, but it was the best. I love that lesson too. Like it's, I always feel like my garden is one of my greatest teachers because there's trust, but then a lot of things don't work out and you have to sort and you accept it. And there's an infinite amount of things to learn. Like there's never a point at which you will be the ultimate expert on gardening. I've talked to expert gardeners and they're still learning. And I love that actually, because you can't be perfect at it. You can only continue to grow and evolve. And so there's so much fun. And if you can have fun with that, instead of beating yourself up about it, it can be really a joyful place to let things go right and wrong and happy accidents. I mean, even in part for me, like it's learning what grows well in my climate, in my garden, and also year to year now things change so much. But like, I don't know if you have it in California, you uh, a sort of root vegetable fungus or something that attacks mm. like beets, but we have that here. And so like, I'm just like, okay, beets are not going to be a thing I grow and that's fine. And I'm just going to focus on the things that are really flourishing. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because again, it goes back to this sort of growth mindset aspect of things, because I have a friend who tries to garden in Portland and she has the hardest time. You have a very short growing season. Yeah. It is freezing cold until like, I don't know, sometimes April or May. Yeah. And I can plant tomatoes starting in March here. And then I can keep growing tomatoes until December. So my growing season in Los Angeles is so much longer than what you get in Portland. And I've noticed with my friend, like sometimes, you know, she'll, she'll get frustrated with that. And and I'm not even just speaking about her, but in general, I think it's really easy to take these fails as personal failures. Like I suck at gardening. I just shouldn't be a gardener when it's again, it's stuff that's out of your control. It's recognizing that you just have to surrender to that. Remind yourself, it's not me. I can learn and I just have to adapt to the environment that I'm in. I agree with that idea because I think, you know, there have been times when I keep going back and keep trying again. And in 2020, when we were just at home, I decided to pull out my entire front yard and put edibles in. And so I just I just was like done with the grass and we just put things into the ground now and see if they grow. And, you know, Sonia, I really liked what you just said about gardening as this thing that you never master because that's actually the way that I think about food too. And, and I think mm. it also speaks to something that you were just offering grace about. So these are the things that are coming out of my garden. What am I going to do with them in my kitchen? And I think there's just this infinite amount of possibility. And to me, that just feels it, the, the same is true in gardening, like this infinite amount of possibility that I can learn and that I can grow 
one that I can see what mother nature can do. And then also in food, like I've been loving food and eating food my entire life. And yet at some point I was like, wait, this is kimchi. And then you've now described all these different nuances that I myself have never tasted. And so there's just like always something new to learn, always something new to taste, always something new to see. And I think that at its bare minimal, like that just feels beautiful and positive and fun, right? Yeah, you just nailed why I love gardening and food so much. There is such a parallel there. Both of you nailed that. It's that the infinite possibility of delicious things to taste in the world that you've never heard of before and the fun of discovering that and experiencing that. It's one of the best experiences in life, I think. I personally don't understand people who say they just eat to live. I'm like, you live to eat. There's so much fun in the in the curiosity and the experience of that. And even with gardening, as long as I've been gardening, there are still things that I've just never grown before. There are eggplants I've never seen before. I love going to the Hollywood Farmer's Market because there's a guy there named Logan who took the business over from his dad. (laughs) Yeah, so I've been buying tomatoes from his dad, who's Jimmy, since... I started gardening and they have this beautiful tomato that's actually historical to their family because one of their ancestors brought it over as a slave. It's called a Goose yes. Creek tomato. It is one of the most beautiful tomatoes you'll ever taste. But he, they love growing all kinds of um, heirloom things. And so I got a, uh, an eggplant from them last year. It's I think it was called like Snake of Moogla. And it was like literally like a long skinny eggplant that can grow to like 12 inches long. I've never wow. even seen it before. I didn't get to taste it until I grew it myself. And then also just the novelty of growing things that I have never personally grown before, not just an eggplant, but like melons. I never had the space to grow melons before. And they're like my new favorite thing to grow now because they taste, they're like tomatoes. Any melon you buy is not going to taste as good as a melon that you grow in the ground yourself. No, it's the best watermelon I've ever eaten is one that I grew. You grew, and, yeah. Yeah. And I I love that you and brought they're this they're also up. so fun to, to watch them. We grew a watermelon that was the size of our dog. It was like 20, 21 pounds. And I was like, I can't believe this came out of my yard. I will say that one didn't taste as good, but it was still, it was huge. Magical. And that again, like we were going to talk about learning and tips, like melons, so much has to do with your watering and how you're watering it. So the next time you try to grow melon carry, now you can be cognizant of when to stop watering, to start sweetening the melon, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's infinite. Well, it's I'm going to call a- you next time. Great. <laughs> Grace, you also mentioned early on in our conversation about when you have 50 pounds of tomatoes or something, you end up with this bounty, which I think happens for every gardener, usually also with zucchini. But I'm curious, when you end up with a ton of tomatoes, what are you making that's not tomato sauce? Oh, gosh. Well, tomato sauce is, I love it. I've, I've Just the taste of that with your own tomatoes is amazing. I also think there's something strangely satisfying about making a dish where it all comes from your garden. So you have like the basil you add and you add the herbs. Um, I started growing garlic. So then you're adding like homegrown garlic to it. So there's something just really fun in that. But aside from the tomato sauce, I love um, roasting them. I mean, I, I kind of like went down the rabbit hole. If you go on my Instagram, you can see like the multiple many ways I've done different things, um, making toast with them, roasting them with garlic, making salads different variations of tomato salads, different cheeses you can play with. It's just so much. Can we, can we get into your roasting of tomatoes? So are you like roast, are you roasting like big tomatoes? 
Are you roasting cherry tomatoes? And then what are you doing with them? Yeah, I like to do a slow roast. Cherry tomatoes, big, small, it doesn't matter, anything. Um, And I'll just put it into like a braising pan with olive oil, lots of garlic, lots of fresh herbs from the garden, thyme, rosemary, and just throw it in the oven. And I don't even really know how long. I can just look and see when it's done. I'll do this a lot, actually, with store-bought cherry tomatoes I buy that get too wrinkly because my children refuse to eat them if they get wrinkly. So just (laughs) throw them in the oven um, with some olive oil, garlic, some fresh herbs. And then I'd say minimum 25 minutes, but keep an eye on it. And and then I'll pull it out. Um, Another thing I love is tomato tarts. So, and I love tomato tarts because they're beautiful before you cook it. They're beautiful after you cook it and they taste so good. And with that, you have to be careful because tomato, especially heirloom tomatoes, they have so much water in them. And so I've sort of figured out how I like to make my tarts roll. I'll slice it up. I'll put some salt on it. People say like, let them sit for five minutes, but I let it sit longer. I'll jump in the shower. I'll do what I need to do. And then before I assemble the tart, I'll like give it a good press with the paper towel to really release whatever water is there. And then you can make so many different delicious tomato tarts and pies. Do you can your tomatoes too? Or when you when you roast the cherry tomatoes, it's funny, I was reminded of this in a conversation with Sonia where we were talking about roasting cherry tomatoes and she makes, you you can speak to it too, Sonia, is the cherry I made confit. I think we've yeah. talked about it too, Grace. I actually, by the way, I'm so glad you brought it up. Last night, I used the last of my cherry tomato confit from my garden in a like pasta dish. Did you last, just from your garden night. from your garden last year? Yeah, from my garden last summer, I still right, had right. a little like precious amount of confit in my fridge that I used up. Did you can it? No, or is, I, it, is it preserved I, in the oil? It's preserved in the oil. I always make sure there's a thick layer of oil on the top, and then I'll reuse that oil. Like I'll take a spoonful of oil to use in other dishes. So if I'm making ah. eggs, if you use a little tomato oil. It's so yummy. And it's just like, so nothing goes to waste. And if there is a little mold, you just scrape it off. And you're and fine. And it's okay. You, yeah, keep yeah. That in your, you keep that in your fridge though, right? Yes, because, yes. I don't. Yeah, you keep it in your yeah. fridge and you keep a little oil over top of it. I mean, I'm curious, Grace, like if you, you know, you're talking about having these like multiple pounds of tomatoes, are you processing them and then saving them and using them in the winter? You, We can still grow them here, but you have less, right? We have less in the winter. Yeah, I actually have never learned canning. I hear it's easy, but I just don't want to die of food poisoning and botulism. So I've never <laughs> same, tried same. it. It'd be lovely to jar and can my own tomato sauce, but I've actually, I freeze my tomato sauce. So that's my preferred method of preservation right now. I'm also a busy mom. So I just, I'm like, let me do what the easiest thing is for me to do with the time I have. So if I'm at a place where I just can't be creative and use up the tomatoes, I'll throw it all in a pot. Can I just share with you a tip that I've discovered to make the yes, best tomato please. sauce? Listen, I'm not saying it's authentic. Uh, some Italian grandma might like weep in her grave when I tell you this, but <laughs> I think it's delicious. Okay, so I'll take the tomatoes. I'll roast them first to get like, you know, the nice roasty umami in there. I'll throw it all in a pot. I'll roast it with garlic too. So after it's all done roasting, I'll throw it into a pot. I'll add a little more olive oil and let it just break down. It'll take like you know, just on low. So let's say it's a few hours. And then once all that's all in there, it's got the herbs from the roasting. I'll add some fresh herbs and I take an immersion blender and that makes the creamiest, most delicious tomato sauce ever because the olive oil in there emulsifies. And it's almost like 
got the texture of like a vodka sauce or something. Yeah. But it doesn't have any that cream in it. Because so it's, good. It's so good and so easy. And then whatever is left over, I'll freeze it. It freezes beautifully. It defrosts beautifully. So that's that's my favorite method. It's such a good point to clarify that like the immersion blender itself changes the texture of the sauce because you can definitely break down a tomato by just simmering it, you know, for long enough and even like mashing it. But you're right. Like the, that it's almost like when you make a mayo. It, get, it changes the texture and it makes it creamy and it's it was life-changing for me. <laughs> I did well, it I also, out of pure, you know, just um, trying to save time. Like I don't want to put this in a blender and it, that's my tip. Well, I also like what you just said because I think that's something that Sonia and I in our food friendship over the years have shared with each other. Like, you know, there are times when you want to honor what a dish is, like especially something that's very traditional. I was listening to your podcast this morning and and you were talking to someone about like putting sriracha in a kimchi and how like both of you were like, no, 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 you can't do that. And so like, I respect that traditional, like that's not a traditional take on something. I'm also a busy mom and there are just times when you have to like execute something. And so this idea of just having this pot of tomatoes and like, how can I just push this forward? And it doesn't have to be approved by the Italian grandmothers. This is just what's working for me. And then you discover something that defies the rules, but like your tongue tells you the truth, which is that it's really delicious. You know, it's all and personal I think, taste and whatever yes. you like, right? Like if there's somebody out there who likes to take cabbage and ferment it in sriracha, have at it like eat that if that's what you like great I'm happy that you like that it's just such a great reminder again of the infinite world of gardening and the infinite world of food too you know it's just like what are you drawn to what can what is happening in your space and how are you enjoying it those are all such beautiful points and I have sort of like one last question to connect it to friendship even more deeply. I'm curious because I have an experience where sometimes I have an abundance or something and there's an opportunity for a trade. And I'm wondering if you ever trade any of your garden foods with other gardeners or neighbors and then what like have you made from those trades? Yeah, I 1000% grow an extra abundance of food on purpose so that I can share. I think sharing my garden produce is my love language. If you know, I just want to share it tastes so good. It's funny because there is a really popular bagel place here called Bell's Bagels. I don't know if you've heard love, of it. Yes. Love, okay. We drive out so, for Bell's. Yes. It's in Highland Park, so it's very it's close so to where good. I am. I love it. And let's just hold the story there because there's this lovely couple that would walk by my house every day with their dog. And we just became friends because we, we love dogs. And then they started noticing my garden and they built a front yard garden in front of their house. So now we're like garden buddies, you know, and bonding over the things that were growing. I think he was a first time gardener. So there was like a lot of exchange there too about just tips and stuff. And I ended up finding out he's the owner of Bell's Bagels, one of the co-founders. No I think his name is Nick. Yeah. So oh my gosh. Just... Please hug him for my family. We love Bell's Bagels so much. That was something we were trading a lot of in the pandemic. Like I would trade almost anything for like a dozen Bell's Bagels. They're so good. And just like their combinations they have that they put together amazing. in their sandwiches. Amazing. He's so cute because he would also grow way too much. And so he would just put out a box in his front yard because I'm on a private cul-de-sac. He's not. And so he would put out a box and just say free produce. And like I've watched so many people come by and just take the stuff. And he gave me a beautiful amount of cucumbers that he grew. And so I made Korean um, cucumber kimchi out of it. And I gave some back to him. So just that exchange 
I think is so much fun. I love that so much. We also have like free boxes of produce in the neighborhood and it just always warms my heart. But there's something also about that trade and then like making something with it. We had a friend who scored a bunch of Italian plums in plum season and she knows I love them and she gave them to me. And so then I made plum jam and so then I could bring some jam to her. I'm just obsessed with those kinds of interactions and how they connect you. Yeah. And gardeners are so generous, you know, generous generous. and sharing knowledge, generous and sharing what they grow, generous and sharing their seeds. It's just a really fun, supportive community to be in. I agree with that. One of my um, older neighbors, when I told her that I was starting a garden, she would walk over and leave seedlings on my front porch for me. Mm-hmm. And then occasionally she'll just email me and say, you know, hey, I have like these cherry tomatoes or I have the celery or can I can I bring you parsley? And it's my hope one day to be able to do that for her too. But I think that's also another lesson that I've received is is about receiving like letting people help you and letting them guide you and then you know the exchange that happens in between there it's like it's a way of connecting with people just like food yeah Yeah. just like food what a beautiful note to end on grace it is such a pleasure to talk to you it is my joy to introduce you two to each other i can't wait for us all to hang out at some point in los angeles thank you so much thank you grace Thank you. This was so much fun talking with you both. I could just do this for hours and I look forward to us like meeting in real life and eating something delicious together one day. Ditto. It's got to happen. Okay. Till next time. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you. So follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating.